Albert Einstein always said that uh, doing the same thing but expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. We have to change our practice if we're going to survive. Welcome to Level Up Your Pharmacy Practice, a podcast you can tune into each week to learn about best practices, new technologies, and staffing resources to level up your pharmacy practice. In this week's conversation, Jake Galdo talks with Randy McDonough, co-owner of Towncast Pharmacy Corp., about the future of pharmacy through incremental change. Let's listen in. Hey, Randy. Thanks again for, for joining me in this conversation. Yesterday, in fact, I gave a presentation to the Academy of Independent Pharmacists in Georgia, and we talked about the future of pharmacy. And one of the things that I stressed to this, this membership of independent pharmacists across you know, the Southeast, primarily Georgia, the Southeast, was that we need to be doing something different. And I, I quoted you a couple of times, highlighted the, the changes that you're doing in your practice, talked about how it needs to be incremental change. And one of the big things that I honed in on, which I've never really said out loud before, but I thought was kind of interesting, is that the pharmacist should not be counting pills, which kind of seems like an antithesis to who we are, right? We are the gatekeepers of the product. But my message was the pharmacy of the future, the pharmacist is not counting tablets. So my first question to you, I don't know how you're going to react to this, it's going to be interesting, when was the last time you counted a prescription, Randy? It's been a long time, Jake. <laughs> so if I think about this, you know, it's been a long time because of the changes that we've made, right? When I first got to Towncrest Pharmacy 15 years ago, the owners and the pharmacists there, which were the owners, they were right in the middle of it, right? They had technician who was doing the order entry, which was good, but then they had the pharmacists who were in the middle. And they were doing the counting and the verification and then counseling the patients. So they were doing multiple roles within that. When I got there, that's when we started making some incremental changes, one of them being hiring more technicians. So now you got the technician who's doing the filling in the middle, then allowing the pharmacist to be freed up. So I would say, to answer your question, it's probably been at least seven, eight years that I've actually counted a prescription because I've got systems in place now that take care of that, whether it be a robot, a technician, or the workflow that we have, um, that I'm not part of that day-to-day functionality of having to fill a prescription and haven't been for a long time, nor do I have my pharmacist be in that role. Not to say they probably don't have maybe more opportunity to do that once in a while, but it surely is not what they do on a regular basis. For anybody that knows you will know that you work a good amount of of the time, like you work a little bit, right? Yep. And that's clearly because you haven't been on the counter and you haven't had a perfect pour, which is, you know, what happens when you need to count 30 and you poured out 30, because the, the rule of pharmacy is you get to go home at that point. <laughs> so obviously that is why you, uh, you keep working because you haven't been on the counter getting that perfect pour to go home, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. yeah. You know, but can I tell you something, though, Jake, can I tell you about something about that though? What I did learn during the early days of trying to create the workflow and putting the incremental changes in place was this. 
because you talked about that really what pharmacists do is counting and pouring, at least traditionally, that's the role. Now we're saying, no, it's not. Well, if you really go back and look at more contemporary pharmacy, the role of the pharmacist is not counting and pouring, but we're like, they are the gatekeeper, but as it relates to making sure people are on appropriate drug therapy. And what I learned very early on within the first two, three months of being back at the counter, being an owner and learning what I need to do to make the change is that my brain doesn't think as fast as I want it to, because if I'm focused in on the dispensing, I'm using a different part of the brain than when I have to shift and think about the drug therapy problems and how do I resolve them. It's just a fact. Our brains have different components and different functionalities within our brain. And switching from one process to another is not a very easy thing to do, and it's prone to errors. And that's why I'm such a big believer of automation and the use of our technicians. Oh, I love it. I love it because, you know, you, you took something and you made it concrete. We shouldn't be counting because if we're counting, then we're not thinking about optimizing. There are two different functions on how we provide care. And this isn't to say that there's anything wrong with dispensing drugs. That is still a vital component of what we do, but that is not the only component of what we do. And so, you know, for us to advance our practice, we have to pivot and we have to start going in this new direction. You know, the other thing that jumped out to me in what you were just describing was that you hired more technicians. And globally, we can, we can talk a little bit about the fact that there are burnout within pharmacies, there are labor shortages within pharmacies, but better yet, there are labor shortages across the U.S. right now. Because we're having a little bit of a reckoning for what's happening. Why should I go be a technician at a big chain for $7 an hour when I can go work at the coffee shop for $15 an hour? And you know what? I'm happy that they're getting $15 an hour at the coffee shop. I'm going to toss that out there now, make sure that that's like, but we're not going to get into the politics of it. So how do we change what the technician is doing so that we can compensate them more so that they want to stay with us and in turn help with the burnout? Yeah, I think that's a a good point, especially with the labor shortage and the burnout as it relates to at the pharmacist level, although it affects all healthcare providers, including technicians as well. What we made a decision on doing is we wanted to bring in the right candidates because we knew that the role was evolving. And as I mentioned probably earlier to you that I bought in and totally embraced the whole technician product verification. So we were part of the original pharmacies that did the whole three-year program of of researching and collecting data to demonstrate that it could be done and things. So I've always looked at that. But early on, I started realizing that if if I'm trying to hire someone who's doing, even doing dispensing is a complex thing. You want someone who's good with detail and, you know, will be following processes to reduce their errors, right? As human beings, we are error prone. So what do we do to try to reduce and minimize those errors? So we actually started looking at our our wages uh, way back then as far as how can we recruit people. Given what's happened with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're having to readdress that and realize we're going to have to bump it up some more if we really want to get the kind of individuals that we're looking for. And not only provide them with an opportunity to make a, a decent wage as compared to another competitor, but give them work that could be construed as being much more meaningful to them, that is exciting to them. And in that, you know, they want to grow with us. 
So we're looking at non-traditional ways of finding these people because I think everybody thinks, boy, to be a pharmacy technician, I have to have a technician certification license or whatever the case might be. And what we're, as I go to restaurants and I look at someone who's a great server, you know, I'll mention to them, you should think about being a pharmacy technician. We have recruited people outside of the industry and they have actually been our, our best technicians. So it's not, so you got to start thinking outside the box of how do you recruit these people? What are the skill sets that you're looking for? You can teach them to be a technician, but it's harder to teach someone empathy and it's harder to teach someone to be, um, you know, someone who is very good with processes and to teach someone uh, to be a self-starter. So those are the skill sets that we're looking at in individuals. I love it. So, I mean, when we think about what's happening right now in our practice, we have COVID exhaustion, we're having errors, we're burned out, we're tired. And so how do we start to make practical changes? The first is get the pharmacist off the counter, right? And so you've said that you haven't even dispensed a drug in, in seven, eight years. That's amazing. That's changing how we think about it. The second was that you pointed out that we need to address not, not the labor shortage, but the functional labor shortage, which is a wage shortage. So you're paying more to get better people that are going to be empowered and excited and have empathy, which is a missing word in healthcare, I would argue at times, into your practice to change what we're doing. You know, what else are you doing to support your team members as you continue to expand and enhance the care that you deliver? Yeah. So the other thing that we started doing as well is making it very process oriented. We, we realized that the only way we're going to be improve the efficiencies is to develop processes, right? And write them out and then talk about how do we train people within those processes. That did a couple of things and improve the efficiencies, but it gave everybody a better idea about what is it that, what's the flow? What is it that I do during my time and stuff? So we, we developed the, the processes and workflow that allowed the pharmacist, the technicians to do the dispensing and allow the pharmacist to be more freed up. But the other thing we had to do was teach the pharmacists that their role was not about counting and pouring. They had a new role and their role was to ensure that the patient's not experiencing a drug therapy problem. So we, you know, created a platform, if you will, that electronic record that we created that allowed them to quickly do that so that we provided them with the information they needed to quickly assess the patient during the point of care when they can say, is this patient being optimized? And we, we really told them, this is not a comprehensive review. This is not you taking 30 minutes. You don't have time for that, nor do we have time to be paying you to do that. What we wanna do is for you to find things on the run. So look at the things that might be common things that might be happening to people. Duplication of medications, therapeutic classes. That's an easy thing for you to quickly assess and identify. Does the dosing make sense? Is the patient experiencing an adverse event? right? Is there a potential drug interaction? And if you've never really questioned the patient about any kind of adverse events or side effects they might be having, how are you going to capture that information? So those are the things that we quickly were able to identify, including asking the patient simple questions like, what are you using this medication for? Because once you identify you know, the reason, or if they didn't have the reason, you may have found another drug therapy problem. So very easy for us to do as we're assessing our patients. The first thing is match the drug with an indication. And if you don't have one, make sure you get that information. If they don't have the information, do they need to be on that medication? So we started identifying all these drug therapy problems that we never identified before because we were not taking the time. And that's when it became more fun. It became more meaningful. It became more of a profession for the pharmacist 
who in the past was more of a dispensing role. You know, I love that you said it's more fun because I've noticed that, you know, when I dispense on weekends, I'm primarily the only one behind the counter doing stuff. I have a cashier slash kind of technician helping out every so often. So, I mean, I am processing, counting, verifying, which is scary. Everybody always wonders why it takes so long. One, because I'm not there a lot, so it takes me a while. But let's ignore that part of it. It takes me a little bit because I always walk away. I process it, and then I put it to the counter, and I'm not going to touch it again. And then I fill it, and I walk away, and I'm not going to touch it again. And then I verify it because I need to look at it with a fresh set of eyes every single time to mitigate errors. But what's kind of interesting about how you have this system where the technician's doing everything, and then the pharmacist is identifying medication-related problems and engaging the patient you know, our halfway step. Maybe our system doesn't allow us to do that right now, but the halfway step is when you verify, do you know the drug, brand and generic name? Yes or no? Like if I don't know the, if I don't know the brand name of the drug, I pause because I should know the name of the drug I'm about to give the person. Do I know the mechanism? No, this isn't pharmacology, but do I have a general idea of what's about to happen when the patient gets the drug? I hope so. Does the dose match the indication? Not have I memorized every dose, but does the dose really make sense to what I'm attempting to treat? I don't know that or it doesn't seem right. I pause and I stop. And then do I know what the patient is going to experience? The patient experience is oftentimes what we would consider monitoring, right? You have ACE inhibitors that can cause hyperkalemia. That sounds really fancy and cool. I don't have access oftentimes to potassium levels. I do have access to a patient telling me that they're having a weird heart rate. Now we're talking. And so we can have a bridge to where we're doing that in the dispensing process. But again, it's contingent upon stepping away and approaching it with a fresh set of eyes. Right. And that's why you need to have the pharmacist change their view of what they're doing. Right. Now you always say that is that you have to first break down your traditional view of what you do and saying, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? And then start there and then work back saying, well, how am I going to do this? Well, and how can I do it so it fits within the business model? Because maybe I don't have a pair who's going to pay me to do this right now, but how can I improve these efficiencies, put the uh, things in place so that I can demonstrate value to a pair, right? And right. I know we've talked about this a lot, but as we made these incremental changes and we were documenting the types of interventions we were making, you know, we had one heck of a database of all these drug therapy problems that we were identifying when a payer came on board or when even the health plans adopted the PQA and equip, we were ready. We were ready to affect those measures. We were ready to affect those patients because we had the systems in place. So it wasn't like we had to all of a sudden quickly re-engineer everything quickly to take care of these different numbers or take care of this plan that's paying us to do something. We were ready. So I frequently have said, if you wait until you get paid for it before you make the changes, it's too late. You've got to make those changes now to be prepared to be successful when you have that opportunity to affect payers. Right. Again, not just waiting for them to apply it to us. I think part of the conversation is how do we tell them what we're doing? And through that, it's documentation. It's it's showing in a standardized manner how we do something different to help them. It goes back to all the stuff that we talk about, about documenting weights, documenting serum creatinine. Why would you not want to send your patients to my pharmacy because I actually look at the weight and I make sure that dose of that child antibiotic is correct? That is a game changer, for lack of better words, but it shouldn't be. That should be the status quo of what we do, but it's not. 
So we need to start telling everybody how we do things different. And to your point about that engagement with the patient about the optimization, it is so thrilling when patients are like, why do you want to know my weight? And I'm like, because your drug is weight-based and I want to make sure it's right. And they're like, hold up, where's the scale? Let's talk about this. Let me get on it. How do we talk about it? Like, I ate a big burger today. Can I come back later? Like, yeah, let's get your weight and talk about this. Yeah. And part of the value, you know, one of the things we talked about is access to information. And, you know, when I hear people saying, well, I don't have access to the electronic record, therefore I can't do what I'm doing. I make it very clear to people that the patient has a lot of information that you need to gather from them, right? That's how you start gathering this information. Over time, you may develop relationships with labs or with physician offices that they could provide you with progress notes or vitals or lab um, data that you need to do a good full assessment of the patient. But at the very beginning, it's at the patient. The patient can even give you access to information from their MyChart record, right? They can get you that information. So we've never found that to be the issue, right? We've always been able to work up the patients adequately by getting a lot of information from the patient. And I want people to understand that, but it's changing your relationship with the patient. And one of the simple things I talk about is a therapeutic relationship. And it's something that was written long ago by Hepler and Strand, where it's where the pharmacist promises the patient that they'll take all their knowledge, all their skill sets to help them optimize the medication in return. It's a two-way street when you have a partnership like this, right? In return, the patient promises the, the pharmacist that they will be honest and forthcoming with information that they can provide the pharmacist to be able to do that adequately and with quality. And so I speak about the therapeutic relationship quite a bit because when I came into Towncrest, there was a lot of great personal relationships. There was not much to do with therapeutic relationships. So when Randy McDonough comes on board and he's spending his time asking, hey, um, tell me about this medication. You know, tell me how it's working for you. Are you having any adverse events? hey, you know what, I need this information to be able to adequately and accurately monitor your, your situation in this medication. How can I get access to it? All of a sudden, these patients looked at me differently. And I can tell you that some of my best relationships to this day um, have been because patients saw something different. And they said, this person, one, is concerned about me. And two, they seem knowledgeable and they're making actual changes or recommendations to my physician, my prescriber, to improve my therapy. So they see me as part of their healthcare team and not just this nice pharmacist that they know. I love it. And I think that the, the part that can circle back to the very beginning of our conversation is that's how we address burnout. We are burned out because all we're doing is pushing out drugs, doing immunizations, and it's go, go, go. But I think it changes when we engage patients and we feel like we are part of their care and they feel like they're part of our care and we're just working together. Yeah. And better yet, the irate patient, the person that's frustrated that it took 15 minutes to, quote, slap a label on a Z-pack, understands why it actually takes 15 minutes because we've given them the context for what we did to ensure that that was actually the appropriate therapy for them. And then they're thankful and they're willing to wait next time yeah. because we aren't fast food. And so we change the conversation. And to your point, we have a therapeutic relationship with our patients and it lessens the go, go, go burden on us because our patients are less go, go, go because they understand what we're doing. 
Right. The other thing I'd add to that is I fully appreciate and understand that burnout is not just related to what you do or not do within your profession, but also the structure that allows you to do it. And so yeah. if you're working in an environment, I fully appreciate that that environment may not be conducive, uh, may not be you know, uh, better or, or in, in a situation where you can actually provide this kind of care. So that's the challenges, right? Is when I came on board, I knew we had to make these changes. We had to make these investments. But I will tell you that I'm much further ahead now working with payers who see value in what I do. And not just a traditional payer who's paying me in addition to what I get paid for the drug and then pay me for care, but also new ways of looking at payments, such as direct contracting, bypassing a PBM altogether, right? We have those opportunities as well. So Part of burnout and overcoming the burnout is taking control of your environment and making the changes that you can make, making changes within yourself. And if that's not going to be good enough and you still are experiencing the burnout, then you have to make those harder decisions. I'm looking always for great pharmacists, right? As I expand, I'm looking for people who are willing to take it to the next level. But I've got pharmacists that I've interviewed that still were in that mindset of, I dispense medications. I really want, don't want to take on that responsibility to you know, be uh, identify and resolve drug therapy problems, that's an issue, right? So if you're going to be stuck in that type of a mode and you don't want to take on that further responsibility, I'm not sure what the future has in store. But for those who really want to take more control, have responsibility for patient outcomes and be part of the healthcare team, it's an exciting new future. And that's where I want to be. And those are the kind of people I want to hire. I love it. Well, Randy, thank you again for joining us this week and sharing your insights. You know, there's a lot going on in the profession, and I think it's exciting to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a way to change, and oftentimes it is supporting everyone around us and, and providing context and supporting our patients differently because that is the pivot that we need to take. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Thanks, Randy. As we heard in this episode, pharmacists that are on the bench are getting pulled in so many different directions and we are getting burned out and we are making mistakes. We have to pause and reflect on what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and think about what the future looks like. And the future is not us pouring and counting uh, and being producers of prescriptions. We're not a commodity. The future of pharmacy is where we're focused on patient interaction and the patient's drug therapy. So to get there, we have to start making our incremental changes today.